We gather this Lord's Day around the Lord's table. We gather in order to commune together with Christ as we remember, as we contemplate together His sacrificial death in our place. As we prepare our hearts for this time of communion and remembrance, I'd like us to turn to the book of Hebrews and to pick up a resounding theme here in this book. The author of Hebrews is arguing at some length that Jesus Christ is the greatest and the last high priest. That Jesus' sacrificial death was the final, consummating, once for all sacrifice for sins. There is no more sacrifice for sin because He has completed that work. And the author punctuates this point with the recurring declaration that after Jesus died to bear the penalty of our sin, after He presented His finished work to God as our great High Priest, Jesus sat down at the Father's right hand. There are many reasons why a person may choose to sit down. We are probably seated here, all but one of us at least, for the reasons of comfort. It's more comfortable to be seated rather than to stand. That's not true in every church. There's Eastern Orthodox churches in Europe where they stand for two hours. Uh, at least most of them. Some are unable to do so, but we, we sit just to be comfortable. We might sit at a desk or at a counter to do some work or sit at a table in order to eat. It's just more comfortable. There's other times where we sit in order to rest. We're tired and it's a good way to catch our breath. But sometimes people sit down because their work is done. And it can almost become a symbolic sense when we are seated this way. I'm sure there's other examples. Forgive me, but the only one I can really think of that works for me is this picture. It's the championship game. The home team has a big lead. There's little time left in the game and really no chance that the other team can come back. And the coach pulls the star player off the field or off the court and sits that person down. Not because that player needs the rest. He might have plenty of energy to finish out the game. Not because he prefers the comfort of the bench over standing out in the field of play. He sits down because his job has been successfully completed. And in that moment, as the fans roar their approval and their thanksgiving that this person has done what they've done to accomplish this victory, it's really sitting down on the bench at that moment something of an honor. And people recognize that. And they praise this individual. Now, there might have been other times throughout the season where the coach was really pretty upset with that star player and sat him down before the job was done. That's not an honor. That's meant to send a message. We can get this job done without you. It's really a dishonor. It can be in some sense. But here in this setting, to come out of the game is to say it's done. It's finished. We've won the championship. The final game is over. And to sit on that bench is really an honor. It's something similar to this sense. 
with more cosmic proportions that the author of Hebrews repeatedly stresses that Jesus sat down after offering His life as a sacrifice for sin. The author of Hebrews depicts Jesus sitting down in glory in order to draw a stark contrast with the priestly system under the Mosaic Law and Israel's kingdom. In broader terms, the author sees the entire Mosaic system, the tabernacle with its inner sanctum, the priesthood with its elaborate system of ritual sacrifice. All of these things are really just a shadowy reflection of higher realities which Jesus fulfills when He dies and when He rises from the dead. All of it is pointing to Christ, preparing people for Christ. God's redemptive purposes working out ultimately in Jesus Christ. So Jesus came, the author insists over and again, to serve as the final priest, to offer the ultimate sacrifice, His own body. No longer a lamb dying for a person, but now a human being dying in the place of a sinner. On the force of this ultimate sacrifice, Jesus as High Priest entered the very throne room of God and He sat down in God's presence. Now that's a shocking idea under the Israeli setting, the the Mosaic Code. Under the Mosaic Law, the High Priest entered the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, that was veiled from view and set apart just once per year. The High Priest would enter into that place And there would place blood from the sacrifice on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant where those angels hovering over that Ark and the gold lid on that Ark. But when He was done, He left. And He never sat down. When you went as the high priest once per year to make atonement for the sins of the nation, you did not bring a chair with you. You did not get comfortable in there. You did your job and you left the holy presence of God because indeed God had objectified His presence at that time in history over that ark. The glory of God hovered there and there was a sense where that priest is representing the whole nation standing in the very presence of God. You didn't get comfortable there. In fact, no priest in any of his ritual activities ever sat down. When you look at all the furniture of the tabernacle, there's not chairs. The priests labored on their feet working and then went somewhere else to sit down and rest. But in contrast, we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, as we look at the argument of this book, which begins by introducing us to Christ, saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the living Word, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power, without shame, saying that Jesus Christ is God, very God. But notice what it says next. 
After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He made purification for sin and sat down next to God. In the second half of verse 3, we find two vital themes that are resounding through the whole book of Hebrews from this place. The first is atonement. The sacrificial death of our great high priest Jesus Christ provided purification for sins. That's Old Testament sacrificial language. The great high priest providing purification for sins. Under the Mosaic law, the life of the sacrificial animal was substituted for the life of the sinner. Providing the worshiper with purification from the defilement of sin. This is precisely what the death of Christ accomplishes for those who believe. It accomplishes purification from sin. Aren't you thankful for that as we come to the table this morning? We don't come purified by our own righteous deeds. But we come purified because of the work that Christ has done for us as our great High Priest. So it speaks of atonement. It speaks, secondly, Christ having been seated. It speaks of exaltation. Having secured purification from sin, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The Majesty here, a reference to the Father who possesses omnipotent glory. This Majestic One. Jesus defeats death by rising from the tomb, ascends to the Father in glory and splendor, and is seated there in His presence. Exaltation. Atonement. Let's think just a bit longer of this sitting down. In the ancient imagery, sitting to the right of a king was a proverbial position of high honor and great power. It speaks then of Jesus conquering power over the forces of spiritual darkness. He has genuine authority to sit down at the right hand of God. Verse 13 quotes David in Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a very significant passage of the Old Testament, prophetically pointing to Christ. The whole text says, The Lord, that is the Father, says to My Lord, that is the Son, sit at My right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now there's a wrong way to read that. And that's to say that the Father is saying to the Son, just relax here while I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's not at all the point. The idea here is that kings would symbolize their conquest of an enemy by placing a foot on that king's neck. The king who has been defeated would have to get down on the ground, perhaps face down on the ground, and the conquering king would put his foot on the neck of that king to symbolize I have conquered you. In that moment, that neck becomes a footstool for the feet of the conquering king. In other words, the enemy has been fully subjugated. Now in principle, Jesus Christ, having been seated in the presence of God, has made His enemies a footstool for His feet. This conquest takes place by the cross in the death and resurrection of Christ. 1 Peter 3 makes this clear when it says Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. 
This is made perhaps most clear in Ephesians 1. I encourage you to cross-reference there with me if, if you have a Bible with you and are able to do that. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice here that the victory has already been won. It's been secured at the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, speaking of Christ, God has raised Him from the dead. Ephesians 1.20 He's raised Him from the dead. He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. He is seated at the right hand of God in a position of authority and rule. All power, dominion, authority, every name that has been named in this age and in the next is under His reign and rule. His enemies have been made a footstool for His feet. Now hang on to that thought. That's not all there is to it. But there is a fulfillment that is there through Christ's work. As we remember the Lord's death at His table then this morning, we should come in full recognition that Jesus reigns as the conquering ruler of the universe. We are not merely looking backwards to His death and resurrection, but we are looking upwards to this reigning Christ who through His death has defeated all enemies and reigns supreme. There is no power or authority. There is no spirit being or earthly ruler over whom Jesus does not reign as sovereign Lord. We gather at the Lord's table as the despised throughout this world, as the weak, as the few, but we gather here around this table recognizing that Christ is conquering King and Lord. So sitting at the Father's right hand speaks of this conquest, this victor, this conquering power over the forces of spiritual darkness. It also speaks of Jesus' finished work for our redemption. It presents Jesus as our Redeemer. Pointing back to those ideas of atonement and exaltation. We're just filling them out a bit further. Here we speak of His work as the Redemptor. Jesus sat down because His work was finished. God rested on the seventh day of the creative week, not from exhaustion, but because His creative work was complete. And in like manner, Jesus does not ascend into the Father's home to get a break. He does not ascend into the Father's presence and sit down because He's tired. Rather, He sits down because the work of redemption is complete. We remember around this table our Lord's death as the last and complete sacrifice for sins. And this is painful to think of it. But do you realize that within Christendom there are many who gather around this table in order to gain a piece of salvation from the church? In little installments, over time, grace is given through these elements, through this bread and through this cup. Little installments of grace over time so that we can someday be saved. We come before this table, before the One who said, It is finished. 
The sacrifice is complete. The job has been done in our behalf by Christ. He sat down. There was no more to do. As we respond in saving faith to that work, we come to this table not to receive pieces of salvation, but to rejoice that Christ has earned our salvation. Through faith in His work, He has done the job. Chapter 8 of Hebrews. We pick up this theme again. Hebrews chapter 8. Very interesting development of the book at this place. In chapters 8-10, through the author demonstrates that Christ's priestly ministry is superior to Aaron's priestly ministry with Israel and with the tabernacle and all that went on there. It's superior because Jesus ministers in a superior sanctuary and in the interest of a better covenant. It's not the old covenant, but the new covenant. It's not the old tent or sanctuary that was erected by Moses, but now into the very presence of God. Leading into this discussion in chapter 7, the author concludes with the idea that Christ's sacrifice of Himself was an end-all sacrifice. It was a once-for-all offering. He makes this very clear. And once again, the author then turns to Jesus' position at the right hand of God to clinch that argument. It's a once-for-all sacrifice, chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. You see the connection. There's a greater sanctuary where our greater priest ministers. That's in the very presence of God. He has a greater ministry then in a greater place. He thus has, we thus see the superiority of His priestly service. Not only does Christ enter the superior tabernacle, the very throne room of God, but He takes up residence there in God's presence. He is a superior and final priest. As we pass these elements, as I come to this table and we hand them out, I have no part in completing what God does for salvation. We have no part in that. We simply commune together to remember what Christ alone has done forever. Chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10 and verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service. Would you highlight a thought perhaps you haven't highlighted before? Did you see the word stands? In the themes of the book, in the development of this book, I think this word stands could perhaps be bolded. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. These animal sacrifices. Verse 12, But in contrast, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. 
waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Well, which is it? Is, has He conquered His foes or has He not? Yes. There's a conquest that has been accomplished. His foot is on the neck of His enemies. But there's that already realization, there's what has not yet come to be. This will all be fulfilled ultimately when every being in the universe acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some to salvation and some to destruction, but all recognizing that He is Lord. So there is a completed act in the cross and there is fulfillment that is yet to come until His enemies are made a footstool for His feet. But here's the point. The priests of Israel entered into the earthly tabernacle to fulfill their daily regimen of ritual service, and then they left. They lived somewhere else. Generally, Samuel notwithstanding. The high priest entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement each year. Behind the veil, he performed his religious service as prescribed in the law, and then he left. But having given his body in sacrifice for the purification of our sins, Jesus entered the throne room of God and he sat down. He stayed. He sat down because the price of our redemption had been fully paid. The work of purification from sin was complete. The debt was paid in full. It was finished. What does it mean to us? Chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. What does this mean in daily life? Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This cloud of witnesses, of course, being believers who have gone before and lived by faith, chapter 11. We have spoken of some, we have sung of this communion of saints here together in worship today. But this great cloud of witnesses goes before these who have placed faith and trust in God. We are now, verse 2, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and here it is again, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to look where? We're to look to Jesus. Where is He seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty on high? This means that as we fix our gaze at the seated Christ, not only at His position at the right hand of God, not only is that intended to confirm His authority and the efficacy of His sacrificial death, it is intended to purify us You see, when we get all into the problems and trials and the issues of daily life and all we do is put blinders on and just see where we are at the moment, we are paving the path towards sin. 
We get caught in the here and the now, and we don't lift our eyes to see, and I mean this in a figurative sense, but we don't lift our eyes to see the risen Christ who is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Has he had a pretty good idea up to this point in time? In his redemptive history, he knows what he's doing. He's seated, reigning, as he brings this whole salvation picture to a close. He knows what he's doing. And we can rest our daily life in him, looking to Jesus who has finished the work. We see him there experiencing the joy that was set before Him when He endured the cross. Now communing with the Father in glory and majesty. We see Him there ruling the universe and interceding in our behalf. We see Him there having completed the work of redemption. We see Him there poised to return again to receive us to Himself. And as we see Him there, as we look to Jesus who is seated, That focus purifies our soul. What sweet irony this is. Although Christ died a violent death at the hand of His enemies, we celebrate Him as the reigning victor over sin. He has conquered through death. What sweet wonder is here. Jesus' sacrificial death substituted for our own and provided purification for our sins. We, the sinners, are cleaned by His mercy. And we rest by faith in this confidence that our Savior is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that He will come back. He's seated there because the work of redemption is finished. So we gather to fellowship around this memorial meal. And as we do, we proclaim our Lord's death until He comes. There is that backwards look and there is that forwards look. We remember Jesus. And indeed, I invite those who are prepared for this meal to remember Jesus. To commune with Jesus to consider one another, to commune with one another as we're gathered here, and rest in the redemptive work of the One who cried, it is finished. And who then sat down. Let's pray together. Father, help us to commune. We need Your aid. I pray that You would draw our attention to the work that Christ has done and that we would fittingly, reverently rejoice in Your presence for what You have done through the sacrifice of our Savior. Together we bow in prayer asking that You would purify our hearts and prepare us for this time of communion together, and that the name of Jesus Christ would be magnified. We praise You in His name for all that He has accomplished and give You thanks through Christ. Amen.